What's your dream? What's your goal? What's your motivation? What's important to you? What's your passion? What can you do to change the world? This is What's Involved. Conversations with thought leaders and change makers from around the world. Hear stories of hope and inspiration to help motivate people like you to live your life, find your passion, and live your dream. Together, we can all bring positive change to our world. Now, here's your host, David Watts. And once again, it is what's involved. Now, we always talk about how great my guests are because I find you only the very best guests. Uh, You also know that I am a rabid lover of South Africa and South Africans. Despite our challenges, I still believe, and uh, I think we need to believe. And uh, that's why I love talking to South Africans that have achieved, and sometimes achieved despite all the odds. One such person is uh, my special guest at this time. Who am I talking about? He is Jeff Van Royen, the author of Unshackled, My Journey from the Township to the Boardroom. Hello, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you so much, David. I look forward to our conversation this morning. Well, i got to tell you, I'm very excited to be chatting to you. Uh, I got the book and uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's just so interesting and so well-read. Parts of it some people may not even be able to relate to if they are of the younger generation and they were they were born up uh, or they were born up. Listen to me. Uh, they were born and brought up is what I was trying to say uh, after 1994. But uh, your story starts a little bit before then. So so give me a bit of a background on Jeff Van Royen. Thank you very much for that kind introduction as well, David. So, yeah, I was born in 1950 in Alexander Township, and I'm 73 years old now. And so I was born to mixed parents. Uh, My mother was classified colored, and my father was classified African. And then sadly, um, you know, they, they, they separated when I was very young. And I was raised by the my, my maternal family, you know, hence the name Van Royen. Okay. And then because of that classification as, as, as colored, you know, being the maternal side of my family, I was then raised as such and, you know, went to colored schools and uh, lived in colored areas and, 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 and so forth. So that briefly is the is the background, uh, David. Now, Jeff, just in in terms of that, I mean, you you were born, um, as you say, in in Alex. Did you did you spend a fair amount of time there as a youngster? Yeah, not not really, because I think uh, uh, you know I started at the primary school there, and by the way, that primary school was exclusively mm-hmm. reserved for coloured people as well until I was about nine years old. And then at the age of nine, you know, that is when the uh, apartheid government decided that they really wanted to start, uh, you know, implementing Group Areas Act on a strict basis. Uh, they didn't like townships like Alexandra because we, it was like a melting pot. And they decided they would separate the races. So my father and his family moved to Meadowlands in Soweto, and my mother and our family then moved to Nuclear, which was also then classified as a colored area, you know? And sure. uh, in fact, at the time when we moved into Nuclear, uh, it was occupied mainly by African people, and so the African people were now forced to move also to Soweto, and the colored people, like ourselves, were then forced to move into their houses. So, so that happened at age nine, right? So. 
Yeah, and I mean, so today and, and all those years, you know, my, my home language has always been Afrikaans. And because apartheid has been so, so, so successful in keeping, you know, the races apart. I mean, I never, ever got, I think I, I, I left Alexandria when I was too young, never, ever got an opportunity to really interact with with people of other races. And so today I only speak to languages, you know, which is, which is, which is English and Afrikaans. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm often at a loss for words because, you know, I, I was, I was born a couple of years after you. I was born in 67, uh, but ended having, right. up having to do my two years national service. Um, a large part of that was, was spent in the townships and, you know, that, that, at that stage, apartheid was so pervasive and, and it had been so well done that, you know, it's not an excuse, but I literally had no idea about any of this, okay? I was like, okay, you have to go to the army because it's the law and we, we're fighting against, um, as, as they used to say in those days, die swart gevaar. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that means, but all right. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, ending up in the townships and, and suddenly having my eyes opened and going, what the heck is going on? Because um, I hadn't been brought up like that. You know, I, I, my dad worked with a multinational company, so um, we often interacted with, with people from, from all the different race groups. Uh, my mom was in the dancing yeah. world, and they were the first, uh, one of the very first sports that uh, became multiracial. So I was, I was kind of used to seeing people around and people of different colors. And, and I just thought, you know, in the evenings, all the black people went home. That's why we didn't see any of them around. I didn't, I didn't know that this was this big thing. And it was, it was yeah. shocking at the age of 18. And I, I'm talking mm -hmm. about it as, as coming from, um, what a lot of people would, would consider a, a fairly privileged, uh, background, even though we were not by any stretch of the imagination well off, but purely by, mm -hmm. Uh, virtue of our skin color, we were we were better off than than a lot of people. Um, right. So I think that context is is incredibly important, and particularly so with regards to the book, because yeah. whilst things have changed, a lot of things have remained the same, um, and sure. and just being able to, you know, to to interact with other people, you know, it, it's it's a basic human right, and and we kind of had no idea how to do it, not a clue. Um, I think we still battle with that. I think there's, there's still a lot of fear, but maybe that's a discussion for another time because right now we're talking about you and about your book. So no, thank you. you you went on, Jeff, uh, to 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 sort of do well in schools and you studied, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When did the idea come about that you wanted to become a CA? Yeah, well, you know, I think for me, I might just say because I grew up poor, Right, uh, raised by my by my grandmother and my mother, and there was poverty all around me. You know, I I realized when I was twelve years old that the only way that I that I could break the cycle of po poverty was through education because I got a lot of positive reinforcement from my teachers. You know, I was doing very well at the, academically, and then so that was the only way that I could see. And I always tell people that from the very young age of twelve. I pursued education as if the devil was chasing me, you know? And so after I matriculated in 1967, by the way, that's the year when you were born, right? I matriculated. Wow. So you have to, David, you have to treat me with a lot of respect, eh? Because I matriculated <laughs> when you were born. 
<laughs> no, no, exactly. I, 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 in, in my culture, I would, I would either have to now call you Sir or Worm, one of the two. Yeah, I, yeah. So Worm will do, you know. You <laughs> say that that's my that's my culture too, you know. Having been classified college, you know. So, so when I matriculated, clearly, I mean, the idea was just for me, and I was the first in my family, as you can imagine, as well, to matriculate. And then I decided, well, now it's time for me to go to university. I wasn't quite sure what I should do. I was very good at accounting, but I was good at mathematics and so on. And then I thought maybe I should pursue a career. I should become a medical doctor because those were the role models, uh, you know, in the community. And being born and bred in Johannesburg, obviously I applied to the, to, you know, to the local universities, but none of them would accept me because they said, look, you know, they were reserved primarily for white people. And then they said, I must go to the University of the Western Cape. And to cut a long story short, I mean, that just killed, you know, this whole idea of being a medical doctor. So my next uh, option was to do accounting because I was good at accounting as well. And I did that through, you know, correspondence with the University of South Africa. And I just have to tell you the story that, you know, when I, when I graduated with my undergraduate degree, my BCom degree in 1976, uh, you know, through UNISA, I was looking forward to going to graduation. You know, it's hard work studying accounting, you know, by correspondence. They're excited about the idea that I now have an opportunity to graduate. We had this lovely, lovely campus in Pretoria. I was looking forward to doing it. And then the graduation brochure arrived. And to my shock, you know, I discovered that the university expected me to go to the Western Cape to go and graduate along with the other colored folk because they had graduation ceremonies for the different race groups. I was so shocked by that, uh, dismayed, disappointed that I decided not to go for graduation, you know. And um, and then two years later, I got my honors degree. And then I was able to go to the graduation. I had to swallow my pride because they had integrated the graduation ceremonies for whites, coloreds, and Indians, right? And so our African brothers and sisters were still graduating separately. But because I wanted to have the experience of graduating, you know, that's that I decided, you know, to go to that to that graduation ceremony. And so I knew very, very little about the accounting profession. And uh, I just learned through having conversations with my Indian fellow students, because it was quite a common career for them to pursue. You know, I got to know about it because I was good at accounting. I was doing well academically. Uh, that's why then I decided, okay, let me try this chartered accountancy. Didn't know anything about it. There were no black chartered accountants at the time in the country, either black or colored. And then I said, well, look, I don't know. You know, let me give this a try. And it wasn't, uh, you know, unusual for me to make a decision like that. I mean, the fact that there were no colored CAs or black CAs at the time, it wasn't sort of uh, problematic for me because I was always, always just pushing boundaries, you know. So just one of those things that I just did, like from a very young age. Yeah. No, listen, I, I think, and, and this is part of what gets me about your particular story and, and why I think it should be sort of compulsory reading for just about everybody is that, you know, but for one or two things and education being one of them, your life could have turned out way differently. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it seems that you, you took the academic route um, rather than getting uh, politicized and caught up in the political turmoil of the time. So uh, I think I think that's that's a fascinating story. Um, I just have to digress for a second because um, okay. you know when, when you say that you came you came from a coloured family. I'm I'm from 
I don't know. I don't know how you'd classify us. We didn't have a lot of money, okay? We weren't exactly <laughs> poor, but we weren't exactly middle class. We were kind of yeah. maybe from the wrong side of the railway tracks. But uh, in my family as well, you know, if you wanted to be successful in life, you had to be either a doctor, an accountant, or a lawyer. Um, and that was what my folks pushed for. So you can imagine their horror when I said I wanted to be a radio presenter. But um, <laughs> I, again, that's a story for another day. But they were also very old-fashioned, and they were hoping that I would be the first in our family to actually get a degree and graduate. So sadly, they were disappointed. I'm not sure if anybody in the rest of the family has managed yet, uh, but uh, so far it looks like uh, – the Watsons are, are non-degreed people. Uh, anyway, listen, I want to talk about uh, about uh, some more of the book and uh, about you wanting to apply for your articles and then uh, wanting to start your own practice. We'll do that when we come back. Uh, this is What's Involved. My special guest is Jeff Van Royen, author of Unshackled, My Journey from the Township to the Boardroom. We'll be back with Jeff in just a bit. This is What's Involved. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. More next. And we're back. What's involved? That is my guest is Jeff Van Royen. Great book. You guys need to get this. We'll tell you how a bit later on. Uh, the book is called Unshackled, My Journey from the Township to the Boardroom. And uh, as I said, Jeff Van Royen is my guest who shall uh, now be known as Um Jeff to me. Um, <laughs> Jeff, if, if I... If I'm, I'm very happy for you, David, to call me Um Jeff. Most of my friends these days call me Bra Jeff. You can either call me Um Jeff or Bra Jeff, okay? I think Bra Jeff maybe would work for me because I still get shocked when people call me Um and I'm, and I'm at the tender age of 55 now. So, um, But Jeff, you've now graduated, okay? You've got to do articles and uh, then once you've completed your articles, then you, can, you could look at, at a practice of your own. Uh, yes. In these days, it should be easy and simple to our minds to do something like that. Tell us your story, though. Yeah, so in, in my particular case, uh, you know, because there were no black child accountants or African, uh, you know, black child accountants I was aware of. So I applied at random, just selected some firms at random, said to them, listen, my name is Pandroy and I'm matriculated at, uh, at CJ Bertha High, my first language is Afrikaans, but I'm black and I'm sticking articles. And I always joke and say that they invited me for the interview because they must have been very curious, you know, about this person, you know, who seems to be have such a strong sort of Afrikaans background and yet says that he's black. And I say that they must have said this we've got to see. And that's why I think. <laughs> That's why they invited me to the interview, but I was very determined, you know, because I knew that without articles, I wouldn't be able to qualify as a child of the county as a requirement. And I said to myself on the way there that, you know, they're going to have to give me this articles or they'll have to call the security to drag me out of there, you know. And then, fortunately, cut the long story short, they decided to grant me articles, but they managed my expectations very well. They said to me, listen, Jeff, you know, you're the first person of color that we're going to be employing in this position. We know our clients are not ready to have a person of color on the audit teams. So we're going to keep you inside of the office. You're going to do work in the office. You will have no client contact until such time that we think that the climate has changed. Cut the long story short, fortunately, 
to their minds, the climate change two years later. And in my third year, I was, I was then transferred. I was transferred to, you know, to, the, to audit, completed my articles, qualified as a chartered accountant. And most chartered accountants working for major accounting firms aspire to be partners, you know, in the firm. And that was certainly my aspiration. When my, when my time came for consideration, then I was told that the firm was not ready. Now, this is not external, not the clients. They were telling me that some of the partners in the firm were not ready to have a person of color as a partner. Sure. I was told that, I was told that if, you, if I wanted to become a partner, I should take a transfer out of the country, you know, to the Transkei office, which was considered to be another country, you know. And David, once again, you know, very shocked, dismayed, appalled, and then I decided, well, I can't sit around and wait for people to deal with their own racial prejudice and their own bigotry because you don't know how long you're going to be sitting around, sitting around how long you would be sitting around. If yeah. you tell me that I'm not ready for a promotion and you're able to tell me what my weaknesses are, at least you're giving me something to work on, you know? But if it's racism and bigotry, I've got nothing to work on. And that's when I decided I'm going to uh, set up my own practice, which of course created... Then I was confronted by a completely different set of, of, of problems, but I'll pause there for a moment. Okay. No, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm smiling. It's like, you know, in those days it was, look, you, you got the qualifications. You're a wonderful human yeah. being. If you could just maybe wash the brown off a bit. Um, and, and, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, these days it, it sounds ludicrous to us, but this was, this was a fact. Um, and yeah. then you, then you wanted to go and start your own practice and, I'm sure they were raised eyebrows. It's like, how are you going to make money catering to the colored Indian and black community? Because there are no real businesses there. So that must have been a first challenge. But then where you wanted yeah. to situate your office also yeah. became a challenge. Absolutely, David. And just to, to give, share a bit of an anecdote on washing the brown off, as you say. When I was in primary school, I often joked that I was washed twice because... Uh, I was raised by my grandmother, and she, she obviously, she also grew up in a very, very race, you know, race-conscious society, her generation, and she was very concerned about my complexion. I was the darkest, you know, of all of her grandchildren, so when I was in primary school, I would wash myself, and she would have a look at me, and she wouldn't be too happy, and she would wash me again in the hope that it would wash some of the brown <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so that's yeah. really a, that's really a true story, you know. And uh, yeah, and so yeah, so so then I decided, well, you know, if I'm not gonna get, uh, you know, I'm, I can't sit around and wait for these guys, so I'm gonna set up my own practice. Now, then I made this discovery that I'd worked in Johannesburg now as an article clerk for a number of years, right? I had qualified, I had a couple of years post qualifying experience working in Johannesburg. And then I just discovered, hey, you know, you can't actually set up a practice. Uh, I was told by landlords when I tried to apply for office premises. And they said, no, Jeff, you have to go to the Department of Community Development. That is what it was called. And apply for a permit under the Group Areas Act, right? I couldn't understand it because I said, but guys, you know, I've been working in, this, in, in town for many years. Why do I need to apply for Group Areas Act? And then they said, look, it's fine for you under the Group Areas Act to be employed in 
the central business district, but you cannot be an employer in the central business district. And then I had to apply for a permit. And thankfully, you know, after about six months of doing and growing with the Department of Community Development, I managed to secure that permit. And as you say, you know, my client base was primarily, you know, black businesses, black NGOs, trade unions, you know, those were my client base. That was my client base. I had one interesting client, though, um, you know, because of, again, my name and the language and all of those things, I was approached by a group of women. They called themselves, it, it's a sort of a society of women, you know, but they call themselves the Bond van Mudders, right? Sure. Afrikaner, a group of Afrikaner women, right? Bond van Mudders. So they called me up one day and they said, and I said, just went by the name because I was practicing as Van Royen and Company, you see. And so mm. they must have selected this at random and then called me up and asked if they could come and see me because they were looking for auditors. And there's these two young ladies, well, not young ladies, I mean, they were all 60 plus, you know, came to see me. And you can imagine their experience having grown up in South Africa as well. They then came to see me at my office. And, you know, most people, when they have an idea of what they expect to see, lose their composure and it would take them two or three minutes to recover, you know. Mm. But these two, these two ladies, honestly, you know, David, I'm telling you, when they saw me, right, they did not even flinch, right? Bond van Mudders, right? Came, had a chat with me. I said, I'd be so happy to be your auditors. And I audited, you know, their books, prepared their financial statements for about a decade, to be honest. And at the end of every financial year, when I take the financial statements to them, I will have tea and cake. And that to me is a lovely, lovely story. I regret that I haven't dealt with it in the book. It's a lovely, lovely story because it does give one hope, you know, that, that, that it is possible for us in this country, you know, to transcend race and build a kind of a different society. So I had my first taste of it, really, you know, when I was in practice with this, 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 this group of you. But other than that, most of my clients, as you say, were black. And it was hard. It was difficult. Because, you know, the, in terms of affordability and so on, but I was quite happy to do it because I always felt that I should use my knowledge and my experience to try and make a difference within my sphere of influence, you know, and it just gave me an opportunity to make that difference. And and I think that is that is one of the things that I picked up in the book and now, and now chatting to you as well, Jeff, is this concept of hope, despite everything that has gone on, despite challenges that were thrown at you, You've always had the sense of hope that this is not how it should be. And, and I can help make things better in whatever way, shape or form that I can. Yeah, David, it's a very, very big, uh, uh, good point that you raised because, you know, having been a, 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 a victim, if you like, of racism and bigotry, right? Simply on the basis, it's clearly on the basis, it's something superficial. It's about the color of one's skin, right? I, I feel so strongly today, David, that uh, if you want to judge people, right, that you must judge people on the basis. First of all, I say don't judge because publicly we're not supposed to judge because we don't walk in the shoes of those people, right? Mm -hmm. because, we're human, because we're human and we, you know, frail and all of that, we do tend to judge. But I say if you judge, judge people on the basis of the values and the principles 
and not on the basis of the color of the skin or the gender or the sexuality and all of those. And I believe that, to be honest with you, David, I believe that with all of my heart. And, and, and I also am an idealist in a way. I'm an optimist in a way because I have a very multicultural family. You know, my, my, my one daughter is married to an African. The other one is married to a white South African. My grandchildren uh, look like the Rainbow Nation. And so, and, 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 you know, I really genuinely believe that it is possible. You know, it is possible that we can build a different, you know, society. Uh, you know, that was one of the big takeaways for me from my experience. You know, the other big takeaway from my experience is that I never allowed other people to define my boundaries for me. You know, there's so many people who said to me, Jeff, you know, when I said I want to be, it even started with matric. When I said, look, I want to matriculate, people felt that I was setting the bar too high. And I said, look, I want to be a graduate. I want to get a degree. No, you're setting the bar too high. I want to be a chartered accountant. No, you're setting the bar too high. But throughout my life, I've been pushing boundaries and absolutely refused to allow other people to set boundaries for me, you know? But even as I speak to you today, even as I speak to you today, I mean, as you know, there's so much happening in the country. There's so much negativity in the country. You know, people are complaining all the time. But the message, my message to young people is to say, listen, you know, the, the, if you want to make something of your life, right? Know where your talent lies. In my case, it happened to be education. With someone else like yourself, it happens you're a radio personality. So I say, know where your talent lies and nurture their talent. And don't put yourself in a dark space where you see the world as a hostile place and you see the whole the world as a, as a difficult place. Because if you do that, you're not going to recognize the opportunity even when it's right in front of you. So I think just always remain positive, have an open mind, and be single-minded about, you know, pursuing your career aspirations, you know, and that regardless of where we are in the country, I mean, we're not in a good space generally in the country, but that's what you need to do and try and find a way within your own space to make a difference so that we can build this new society that I believe it's possible for us to build. Wonderful stuff. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, this is what's involved. My special guest is Jeff Van Royen, author of Unshackled, my journey from the township to the boardroom. Uh, when we come back, we'll be finding out how Jeff landed up in a boardroom, uh, all that and more on what's involved. Back in a bit. Hey, like what you're hearing? Share the podcast with your family and friends and spread the word. This is what's involved. And we're back. What's involved in this? My guest is Jeff and Ryan. Uh, Unshackled, my journey from the township to the boardroom. So, Jeff, your practice was going. Let's let's fast forward a bit. How did you transition and, and end up in boardrooms and end up on the various boards that you're on? Because you're on you sit on, on the boards of, of a couple of really impressive companies at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm, I've, I've been on the board of MTN Group for 12 years. Uh, where I served on quite a number of the board subcommittees and because of my back financial background, certainly of the audit committees of, of, of MTN. I also served on the board of uh, Exaro Resources, which is a mining company for 12 years. And in my last two years, I was the chairman of the board. And as I'm speaking to you, I'm still on the board of uh, Peak and Pay, uh, where I chaired the audit committee until about a year ago. So I transitioned you know, from that position, but I'm still on the board and I will be retiring this year. I'm very happy to just give you a sense of, of how this happened. But 
So for me, you know, the, the big advantage about being a chartered accountant is that it just opens up so many opportunities for you. You know, you can stay in the accounting profession, which was my initial uh, aim, if you like. I wanted to become a partner and remain in the profession. Or you can move out of the profession into commerce and industry. Many, many chartered accountants are acting as chief financial officers of, of company. You can go into academia. There are all sorts of things that you could do. And then for me, an opportunity opened up for me to, to, to become the, the chief executive of the Financial Services Board, which is a regulatory body, right? I didn't know much about financial regulation, but I had a lot of financial knowledge and expertise as a chartered accountant, applied for that position, got the position, stayed there for, 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 for a couple of years, and then introduced very, very significant legislation. That one of the things that I'm very proud of uh, during my tenure at the Financial Services Board, I am the person who's responsible for piloting what we call the face legislation, you know, through parliament. And that is legislation that professionalized the financial services industry, because now if you want to practice as a financial advisor, you need to get registered, you need to meet certain criteria, et cetera. So, you know, it was during my tenure that, I, that you know, that, 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 that law was, was kind of put in place. So that's my proud achievement there. But I've always, because I've spent most of my life in the private sector, you know, I, I was never going to be working in an institution like that, which is a semi-government institution forever. So I decided to get back into, you know, into, into the private sector. And then I started getting, you know, these offers to, to you know, to join boards. I had probably in the first couple of years more than, you know, like a dozen offers to serve on boards. But, you know, you have limited capacity. And I decided upfront that I would restrict myself, you know, to three boards. And I selected those because I thought that they were very strategic and interesting and exciting. And I would be able to make a contribution. I just want to single out, if I may, how I became a director of Pick and Pay. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I do that? Oh, absolutely. Yes, we'd love to hear that. Okay. So, so I was shortlisted. Uh, I was shortlisted candidate candidate for a board position at Pick and Pay. And in particular, they were looking for someone to chair the audit committee. Now, even at that stage, Pick and Pay listed on the General Book Stock Exchange, multi-billion uh, rand uh, you know, business, which is controlled by the Ackerman family. They themselves are ex, you know, extraordinarily wealthy family. Although Raymond also started off poor. You know, he wasn't a wealthy person. I mean, he started off poor. And if anyone's interested in Raymond's story, they should read his memoir, uh, which is called Hearing Grasshoppers Jump, you know? And so, so when I was invited to then meet with Raymond, first thing I did was read his memoir. And when I read it, I saw that there were very many similarities around how he started out, what his struggles were, how we were able to overcome the struggles. And then I went, uh, you know, for the interview, at the interview, not only with Raymond, but with his entire family. It was Raymond, his wife, and his children, and his son-in-law, and all of those people sitting around the boardroom having the conversation. And at the end of it, uh, you know, Raymond offered me the job. And, and for me, again, that is what gives me hope, you know, because that we can build this new society, because a lot of people were telling me, as I was preparing to go through that process, a lot of people were telling me that I, there was no way that I would succeed and one of the reasons that they gave was they said, Jeff, because you are not Jewish. You know, as they say, the Ackerman family 
in a Jewish family, and there is just no way that they would appoint someone like you to chair their audit committee, which is which deals with the finance, you know, the heart of the business. There's no way. But then at the end of that conversation, I had with the family, I was offered the job. And as I said, I've been there for 16 years, you know, and, and the only reason why I'm stepping down this year is that, you know, I am 73 years old now and I need to play more golf. I need to find time, you know, for leisure activities, you know. Mm. So, yeah. And I really enjoyed, I've enjoyed my, really my tenure as a, as the director of all of these companies. But because, you know, I'm also entrepreneurial, you know, I set up my own investment company some 17 years ago. And, and so I'm running that business right now. I mean, we've been able to grow it. We've got a good portfolio of, 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 of businesses. And then two years ago, I brought my eldest daughter into the business as well, just as part of my own succession planning. So, you know, I've, I've really been blessed. But again, it's a case of, you know, if you, again, I come back to what I said, earlier on that I think if you've got a good set of values and principles, you prepare to work hard, you you you're positive, you're open-minded, you know, I think I think you can make a success of your life. And I think in some ways, you know, I'm 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 and I say it, you know, quite humbly and quite modestly, but in some ways, if you consider where I come from, you know, Alexander Township, and where I've landed, I, I, I just hope that uh, other people, young people in particular, will draw some inspiration from it, David. Yeah, no, listen, I, I think everybody can draw inspiration from, from the story and uh, just the way that you, that you talk about your life. And what comes through for me is that there's, there's no recriminations. You, you don't go, oh, this and that, and, and think of all the excuses why. You, you seem to, fo- to, to focus all the time on the positive. Um, Jeff, when we yeah. come back, though, uh, we're going to wrap up and people can find out where to get the book. And uh, also, I'd like to touch on uh, the golf story because you have a passion not just for golf but for caddies as well. So we'll talk about that yeah. when we come back. This is what's involved. Uh, I'm speaking to Jeff Van Royen, author of Unshackled, his journey from the township to the boardroom. Back in a bit. You're listening to What's Involved with David Watts. Have you been to our website? Check it out, www.whatsinvolved.com. And while you're there, click on the coffee mug icon and buy David a cup of coffee. He'll love it. And we're back. What's Involved it is. My guest is uh, Jeff Van Ruyen. Unshackled is the book, my journey from the township to the boardroom. And uh, just before the break, Jeff, I said we're going to talk about golf and uh, we're going to talk about uh, caddies. Now, I can't really talk about golf because I play a rather unique game, which is called Mur Ensuk. So um, (laughs) golf golf is really not my forte. Um, but yeah. the caddy side of it, I understand. And, and let me just tell yeah. you a little bit about, about one of my experiences um, is when I used to live in Nelspruit, uh, we had an eventing company there, and I got to meet a gentleman by the name of Robert Gumede, who actually started out as a caddy at the Nelspruit Golf Course. Um, and Robert has gone on to do some amazing things in his life. A couple of controversies, but uh, I think he's a great. I think he's a great guy. And and caddies, caddies are something. And just talking to him, um, man, they get the short end of the stick a lot of the time. Um, so yeah. so talk to me about about golf. Why golf? And then talk yeah. to me a bit about the caddies. No, thank you very much, David. So you know, I became a member of the Johannesburg Country Club. Uh, 
you know, gee, almost 30 years ago, right? But I never, ever played golf. I mean, I used uh, the club for, for lifestyle purposes, right? So the caddies were always a blind spot to me because I wasn't a golfer, right? Until, until about 10 years ago when I decided, uh, because everyone would be talking about golf and all of that, I said, well, let me give it a chance, started playing golf. Uh, some 10 years ago, and then then became, then I only did I become aware of, of the golf caddies, started chatting to them about, tell me something about your life, where you're from, how much money are you making, you know, how do you support your family, and so on. And I was quite surprised, David, that here is the reality, right? So when we were under British colonial rule more than 100 years ago, that's the first time that, that caddies were employed were employed on golf courses, but you can understand that with the Brits, you know, during colonial rule, they didn't see black people in general as full human beings, right? I mean, to their minds, I mean, we were we were probably you know no better than slaves, right? So they just employed these guys on the basis that we'll allow you to come onto the golf course, we'll allow you to carry a golf bag. And you can negotiate your fee, which was very paltry, you know, with the with the golf player. So that was the system, and they had absolutely no other benefits. And during colonial rule, that was understandable. Then came apartheid, and nothing changed during apartheid for reasons that we all understand, right? So the the, the you know that system continued. Then came 1994, uh, this new democratic government. And David, you will remember when 1994 came, the slogan of the ruling party at the time was a better life for all, right? So yeah, they, they, haven't, they haven't done so well, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, so it was a better life for all. So when I started playing golf and talking to Gary's David, I discovered that the system that was put in place by the Brits, you know, the colonialists, endured through apartheid, endured even well into the democratic era. And even as I'm speaking to you today, that is still the system. So these guys, you know, you know, they're regarded as self-employed. You must take care of yourself. The club don't take care of them. And, and really they are struggling. Nothing has changed for these guys since 1994, okay? Nothing, absolutely nothing has changed. They must take care of themselves and so on. And then I then started because, you know, I, I could relate to them, right? I could relate because that's how I started my life as well, right? I could relate. And I said, no, bugger this, you know, I have to become an advocate for change. And so, and I and, and also, you know, I've learned over the years that, you know, you need to organize yourself if you want to be an advocate for change. So I established an organization called Finding the Fairway Foundation. That's what it's called. And then I got some like-minded people together. And now through the Finding the Fairway Foundation, we are now advocating for change. You know, we would like to see golf caddies being employed by golf clubs, and they must have all the benefits that, you know, that, that employees have, you know, in companies. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm an advocate. it hasn't made me very popular, but you know what, in any other industry, maybe you could say, yeah, well, I can understand it. But in the golf industry, I mean, there is so much money in golf. Walk into any golf club and look at all the luxury cars that are parked there. Look at the money we spend on golf clubs and all of that. So I honestly, David, believe it is disgraceful, you know, that we find ourselves in a situation like this today. Through my advocacy, you know, I've also been working with government 
But you know, you know, there's such paralysis in government. I'm afraid to say, uh, I don't know where I don't know where the interests are. But you know, I've not had the kind of support that I kind of anticipated. But apart from all of those things, while I'm I'm busy with this advocacy to try and get them better working conditions, I've just recently signed a, 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 an agreement to the University of South Africa, and we're going to provide you training to caddies across the country. You know, to help them be better at the jobs. And the training that we've been providing will also help them uh, migrate, you know, from being a golf caddy to perhaps other occupations. So I'm very excited about this agreement that we have with UNISA. And I must tell you, you know, it's not a, it's not rocket science what, I, what I'm doing, but it's never been done in the entire history of golf in this country. You know, I've had conversations with the governing bodies in golf, and they all look at me like I'm coming from another planet, to be honest with you. But I'm patient. I'm patient. I know it takes time. I mean, in my book, one of the things I, it's an African idiom that I, that I refer to in the book, where it says that if you want to move mountains tomorrow, you must start by lifting stones today. And then, you know, in regard to the golf caddies, that's what I'm doing. I'm just lifting stones on a day-to-day basis. But I'm hopeful that ultimately justice will prevail for them. Yeah, Jeff, listen, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Because um, I know how those poor guys struggle and very often how they get treated as well. Um, I did smile when you said that the foundation was called Finding the Fairways because that's something I never managed to do. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, in I fact, still struggle, I still struggle from time to time. And I've listen, been golf concert for the past decade, eh? I was, I, was, I was working for one of the big commercial radio stations a good number of years ago and got told that there was this celebrity golf day that I had to attend. And I protested and said, I'd never spent, I never played golf in my life. And I have shared the story before, but they said, eventually my my advice was um, go to a driving range, hit a bunch of balls. um, And whatever you do, when you get to the golf course, uh, please just get a caddy. And uh, I'll, I'll edit the whole story down because it was, it was very, very embarrassing. Um, but after hitting the balls, I ended up with blistered hands. I uh, got my caddy and uh, ended up doing this celebrity golf day at the Royal Johannesburg Golf Club, um, where yes. apparently if you start smashing big divots out of their tee boxes, they get quite grumpy. Um, eventually, eventually, I retired after the ninth hole due to an injury to my pride. Um, and, and on that specific day, my caddy thanked me for taking him to parts of the Royal Johannesburg Golf Club he'd never seen before. <laughs> so that was, that was my little golfing story. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was very, very, very embarrassing. Um, but anyway, Jeff, as we wrap up now, because once again I'm running out of time, uh, let's just, just chat about the book. Where would people be able to get your book? And as always, I know that uh, generally these these books are available uh, in in digital format. I would still recommend yes. getting your hands on a hard copy. There's something about having a book like this in hard copy. So where do we get them? Yeah. So so David, uh, the book is available on Amazon, and so one can get the, the Kindle version of it. I mean, if one's keen to read Kindle, you know, I read both Kindle and and and, and hard copies, but hard copies are available through all the you know, the, 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 the well-known bookstores in the country, like Exclusive Books and uh, Bargain Books and, and places like that. And it's uh-huh. clearly also available on Take A Lot. Okay, good. So, so all of the major platforms, you can get it in digital yeah. version if you'd like. 
maybe yes. if you if you're listening to the podcast of this and you're not based in South Africa, get the book. Okay, because these are some universal truths that Jeff talks about in here, and it is an incredible book. Uh, Jeff, before I let you go, there's one last thing I'd like to I'd like to ask you because you mentioned, you know, you're 73, you need to retire to play more golf, but after a book like this, what's next for Jeff and Ryan? Yeah, it's a it's really a very good question, you know, David. I mean, I deal with quite a number of themes in the book. And it's only 160 pages. And the feedback that I've been getting from people who've read the book, you know, and thankfully, I mean, we've sold a lot of books so far. I'm very grateful. Feedback that I'm getting is that some people are saying, urging, encouraging me to take some of the themes, especially around business, and to perhaps just write another book. Uh, so that's something that I'm, I'm seriously thinking about, you know. About how to how to start a business, how to raise the capital, and how to just make those kind of business decisions. To once you're in the business, you know how do you grow your business and all of those things. So I can draw on my experience from having been a director of major of major listed companies, and so perhaps that might be my next project. I would encourage that, and I'd like to put my name down to do the first interview. <laughs> thank you very much, David, and thank you so much for having me and, and, and for having this lovely chat. It's been fun. Wonderful stuff. Well, that wraps it up for this this edition of What's Involved. Go out and get the book, uh, Jeff Van Royen, Unshackled, My Journey from the Township to the Boardroom. As I said, it wraps it up. To each and every one of you, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to What's Involved. We hope this episode inspires you to find your passion and live your dream. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. And to see what's happening, what's going on, and what's coming, follow What's Involved on Facebook and Twitter at What's Involved. Thanks again for listening.